0: If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.
1: Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one-day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at Kings Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone
0: pays kids' price. Kings Island tickets just $45 online. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show.
4: Welcome back everyone, this is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, it's very simple. All you have to do is send it to Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com on all social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV. And if you'd like to find out what's going on in the world of the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is uh, Stan Gordon. We're going to be talking to Stan this hour about the, um, the Kecksburg UFO incident, as well as other cases that Stan has worked on. Stan has been researching UFO sti- sightings, Bigfoot encounters, and other mysterious events in Pennsylvania since 1959. Since then, he has been involved in and with the investigation of thousands of unusual events. Um, his, he is the primary investigator of the 1965 UFO crash incident that occurred near Pe- Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. And he's been uh, taking calls on UFO sightings and other strange reports from the public since 1969. And he continues to receive unusual reports on a regular basis. His website, stangordon.info. And Stan, welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us.
5: Thanks for having me back, on.
4: So, Stan, what's new in the world of ufology and Bigfoot in the state of Pennsylvania?
5: Well, it it never ends around here. There's reports coming in here year round, every year. Last year was very busy with a lot of reports going on, Um, a lot of very interesting UFO reports. And and interestingly, in the last few years, Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of different uh, researchers talk about the fact that they're not getting a lot of close range, low level UFO sightings, but a lot of them are high altitude, just lights in the sky. But um, we've been seeing a number of very interesting low-level sightings in the last several years, like the kind of case we used to see back gee, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and uh, so I found that pretty fascinating. But been a lot of Bigfoot activity going on uh, right up through uh, last year. We've we've heard of some reports this year. We're trying to track them down. We have had some other cryptid reports, but um, once again, there were some very interesting cases in 2016.
4: What was the most interesting case that you had in 2016,
5: Stan? Well, there was a lot of different reports. Um, Some of the Bigfoot sightings were interesting because they were very, very close range. Um, One sighting occurred down in Westmoreland County, where I'm located, which has a lot of history of Bigfoot sightings going back to, gee, at least the late 1960s, that I started investigating, but Mm -hmm. historically they have been seeing long before that around the area. But uh, this was down in the, uh, out around uh, Lober, West Newton area, uh, very uh, rural area. And back, geez, back in the late 1960s, they had what's called the Lober Monster, the people reporting this eight, nine-foot tall, hairy man-like creature with white hair that was being seen around the area, and they were finding large tracks around the general community. And there have been reports ever since And um, it was last year, I believe, April 17th, uh, a woman, and I can tell you, this woman, I I interviewed her and her family. She had absolutely no interest in Bigfoot, didn't believe in Bigfoot, didn't watch the TV shows. So that evening, she's riding slowly down what I would call river road, or parallels along the river Mm -hmm. down there. And as she's driving slowly down that stretch of the road, it's dark, getting dark. And uh, she sees this tall, dark figure come from the right side of the road and go, up onto the road just as she's approaching it, so she slows down, and she's at standing right there at the passenger side of the window, looking at her. It's a seven foot tall hair covered creature with luminous glowing red eyes. Oh my gosh! She said she was never so frightened in her life, and gasped the car out of there and went home and called a relative and told her what happened. And um, but there's been a history of reports like that. But then on May the 10th, the month later, back in Fayette County, Fayette County is one of the most active areas. In Pennsylvania, and All likely right. in the country. Stan, we're only- going to ha- Stan,
4: we're going to have to have a bit of a cliffhanger here. I have to take a break. exonation Stan Gordon is our special guest, and we're talking about UFOs, Bigfoot, and other strange anomalies and phenomena in the state of Pennsylvania. www.stangordon.info. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. 401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. twenty-four seven, three sixty-five.
1: 365
4: I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president, by donating at www.HolisticCancerFoundation.com.
1: Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers.
2: Stan
4: Gordon is our special guest to this hour explanation, www.StanGordon.info. And Stan, before we went to the break, we were talking about the lady who didn't believe in Bigfoot. Um, She hadn't even seen a Bigfoot show, but going down a nice uh, lane, I think you called it River Road, uh, she had a strange encounter that I don't think she's ever going to forget.
5: No, I'm pretty certain about that. (laughs) Uh, Even when I uh, had interviewed her, she was still pretty shook up about the incident. And uh, so that was in April. Then in May, May 10th up in Fayette County, which is an area that has a lot of history of Bigfoot sightings, other phenomena. The Fayette County is along the Chestnut Ridge. The Chestnut Ridge is one of the most active, anomalistic, active area probably in the country. It's here in Pennsylvania, but it stretches from Preston County, West Virginia, into Westmoreland and Fayette and Indiana County in Southwest PA. Year after year, we receive UFO sightings Bigfoot encounters, encounters with Thunderbirds and Black Panthers and other weird cryptas and mystery booms and all kind of weird phenomena along that ridge. But on May 10th last year, now one of my associate researchers, Jim Brown, investigated this and this was outside the little town of Mm Fairchance. It was a very foggy and rainy night when this occurred and these two men are riding down this rural road when suddenly the seven foot tall, hair covered creature comes down from the left side of the road from the embankment and runs down in the middle of the road and stands there in front, about 20 feet away. And the the driver slams on his brakes, and the two men are staring at this creature. The creature is staring back at them. This thing is uh, very tall, hair-covered, and again has luminous, glowing red eyes, the two men indicated. And after a short time, the driver slowly pulled his car forward, and the men felt slight contact with the creature. And at that point, the, the creature placed its hands on the front of the vehicle with a bumper against its legs, and then soon after, it removed its hands and turned around, started walking down the road and walked into the woods. But um, so many of the, of the Bigfoot sightings we have in Pennsylvania, they're not like you see on some of the TV shows where you've got a shadow of something a half a mile away in the dark. Mm-hmm. Historically, many of the sightings have been many in daylight, and many sightings actually have been at very, very close range. We're talking... Five, ten, fifteen feet away from witnesses. For example, where they walked out in front of cars, which has been fairly common over the years. Uh, they walked near rural homes, near uh, mobile homes, and many people got very good look at these creatures. And in some cases, over the years, we had more than one creature seen together, such as two and three at the same time.
4: Jim, why do you think there's so much paranormal activity in, in Pennsylvania?
5: Well. Yeah. You yeah, know, there's, there's a couple different reasons possibly we hear a lot about it. Uh, I mean, historically, there's no doubt about it. I mean, th- the Native Americans had records of these encounters with these creatures. Mm-hmm. There's newspapers uh, going back to the 1800s that talk about strange happenings in Pennsylvania. And it's been going on ever since. Now, as as you might recall, I, I started this long ago. And in 1969, I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings. And as word got out about my hotline, I was being inundated with reports of all kinds of phenomena, from ghosts and haunted houses to creatures and UFOs. And it became very apparent this was a lot more than I could handle on my own. So I uh, decided to set up a volunteer group of hopefully research people to mm-hmm. investigate these reports. So in 1970, I founded the first of three organizations – and we would start out small and then we expanded by nineteen seventy three to cover the whole state of pennsylvania that first group was a Westmoreland county ufo study group and it was kind of unique in that most of the people involved were specialists there were scientists engineers technicians police officers uh... former military intelligence people all kind of specialists. We we're doing this around our full-time jobs and uh... We we're pretty well organized we, we were finding this out basically out of our own pockets but um, to our surprise, in 1973, we were beginning to get referrals uh, from the news media, the state police, and we were just being inundated with reports. And it was probably one of the only areas in the country where people could report a sighting, and somebody would actually investigate it. And that hotline is still active today as it was back in 1969. I mean, calls come in here very commonly. Between that and my website email reports that come in, it's amazing how much goes on, and the public never hears about it. And, of course, one of the main reasons is because even today, especially with cryptid sightings, the majority of witnesses who see these things are very reluctant to publicly talk about it. Why
4: do you think that is?
5: Well, it's the same thing we've been doing that for years and years. A lot of witnesses are very credible. Police officers call in, educators, lawyers, doctors, people from all walks of life, and they're concerned about their reputation, and uh, they're very reluctant to publicly uh, discuss what they see.
4: So why do, you, why do they call in, then, if they're not willing to go all the way and, and establish who they are so that their credibility can be attached to the sighting?
5: Well, I think one of the reasons a lot of people, when they call me, they're first of all, they want to make sure that mm-hmm. they they were hoping that somebody else in their area may have reported the same thing. They want to know if there's anybody else from the area that's ever seen anything like that. And they, want to, they just want to realize, you know, that they weren't crazy, that they experienced something. One thing I found is that so many of these witnesses, they have problems even dealing with it years later. Because a lot of people wait sometimes months or many, many years to even report something in. And um, because you're just curious, again, if other people have reported such a thing, and many times they're very happy to find out that a lot of the details they gave me, the locations where they reported has had a history, and many other people have seen something similar.
4: So with all the research that you've been doing over the years, Jim, uh, uh, you know, Stan, uh, be it with you and the other researchers that, that donate their time to this very worthwhile cause, what have you found? What have you established
5: well, okay. First of all, I I haven't had my group for quite a while. I'm working as an independent researcher, but we did for many many years have those research teams. And what I'm beginning to find, especially with Bigfoot, and you might re- maybe recall um, some, I uncovered some of the strangest cases probably ever documented back in the 70s, mm-hmm. back in 73 and 74, when we had that massive UFO Bigfoot wave in Pennsylvania. Cases where, reluctantly as I am to say it that there were very well-documented cases with UFOs and Bigfoot seen together at the same time and place. But since that time, looking at the hundreds of Bigfoot sightings and interviewing hundreds of witnesses, um, we found some very strange aspects of Bigfoot, which seems to suggest the possibility that with some of these creatures we may be dealing with something that's other than a flesh and blood animal, which is why there's no bodies.
4: If it's not flesh and blood, what is it?
5: Well we don't have the answers but I, one thing i found years ago mm-hmm. is that many low level close range ufo encounters and many close range encounters with bigfoot and other cryptids they commonly occur in the vicinity of high energy sources so a lot of sightings occur around high tension power lines and power plants and all oh, gas wells and gas lines, communication towers, railroad tracks, r- reservoirs, various types of energy sources. I, I feel for a long time that there is an energy connection to the phenomena. It seems that under certain conditions, and we don't have all the answers, we're just gathering data, that these creatures and maybe certain types of UFOs that come into our physical reality— They can look physically solid, Mm -hmm. even though in some cases we've had over the years that are not well-known. Some of these creatures did not appear to be completely physically solid, as observed by some witnesses. They at times can leave physical evidence, and they're gone. They come and they go, just like with certain UFO sightings. Uh, I I can give you one case from last year, in fact, we can talk about, but historically, we've had many UFO sightings seen even in daylight at close range. In some cases, they physically change form in front of eyewitnesses. They suddenly appear and disappear. Uh, I've felt for quite a while now that we're dealing with a phenomena that's a lot more unusual than a lot of people realize out there, and I'm not so sure anybody, Roy, has the answers at this point.
4: So, with all the modern technology that is available to everyone, everyone has a high definition camera in their in their cell phone. Are we getting any more concrete proof? I mean, good photographs that cannot be denied, that cannot be manipulated, that are one hundred percent legitimate. Are are we getting that kind of evidence now with Bigfoot as well as the UFO phenomena?
5: I, I do get photographs in, but again, you know, I I have a very good. Uh, our associate that's a very good expert in doing analysis and many of these photographs we can figure out what people were taking pictures of because lots of times it's technically connected to the digital uh, circuitry of the digital cameras there's a lot of anomalies out there that can look very strange and unusual mm-hmm. but uh... I-, I can tell you we have had some a few interesting pictures but a lot of them just don't show you enough detail to be sure what they are such as game cam pictures that people submit uh, we do get UFO pictures in, but lots of times we're able to determine that, for example, they're Chinese lanterns or something along that line. So you, you get legitimate photographs in, but in a lot of cases we can determine what they are, and uh, there's very rarely that you get a really good photograph of something that you've got to scratch your head and wonder what you're dealing with here.
4: But how about trace evidence, landing evidence? Um... Uh, you know, radioactive readings. Uh, Is there, you know, anything like that burn marks in the ground? Something.
5: Well, that's what we used to get Um, back in the 60s and 70s and even the 90s. We had some really interesting cases where there was physical traces, where laboratories examined various uh, traces we had. In fact, over the years, we've actually gotten some very interesting physical anomalies, materials we've recovered. They've all been into the lab And the cases are interesting, but we're not suggesting that these things are extraterrestrial because the evidence didn't show that. The indication was in some of the sites that there was – I remember one case up in Butler County back in 1990 when people had seen uh, something coming down in a remote area, and later they found multiple large burnt oval-shaped areas, and our team got up there and they took uh, samples and took photographs and measurements. There was a the test indicated There was no accelerants. There was no indication of a hoax. But, uh, again, we couldn't say for sure what caused it. Interestingly, and unfortunately I wasn't there that night, but the team was there when, coincidentally, a UFO appeared over the area like a child stopped hovering and spinning. It was there for several minutes, and it, three different people in the area videotaped this thing. So there were some very good photographs, Uh, we got some good still pictures off the uh, video, and there was a lot of analysis done, and that was very intriguing. But, uh, you know, let me say this, in all the years I've been doing this, I have never personally seen a UFO or Bigfoot myself. And I, I thought for quite a while that there's more than one origin to the unknown category for UFOs, that we're not dealing with just one origin for whatever these things might be.
4: So if we're not dealing with one origin, are you talking about multiverses? Are you talking about, you know, multidimensional? Well,
5: I I think there's a a chance that at least a small number of these could be extraterrestrial. Again, for lack of a better term, I, I think we might be doing something that is interdimensional. And, again... These things seem to occur, they occur sporadically in a lot of different areas, but there are also some areas, such, such example is along a certain location along the Chestnut Ridge, mm-hmm. where we get more than normal reports, why we don't know, and yes, there's a lot of energy sources around there, but these things seem to, again, come into our physical reality at times, sometimes they look physically solid, sometimes there's evidence left behind, but they come and they go. And even with some of these cryptid cases, uh, some very interesting reports over the years where there were even searches done, like example, for like Black Panthers, which, of course, scientifically don't exist in this part of the world. All right, People stand by, deserve- Stan,
4: stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation. Nation, Stan Gordon is our special guest, www.stangordon.info. We'll be back on the other side of this break with Stan talking about UFOs and uh, the Kexburg incident. Here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canva.
6: Dreams are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss shamanic counselor and indigenously trained dream decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops
4: Nation, uh, Stan Gordon is our special guest this hour. www.stangordon.info. Um, okay, so we've got these multiple sightings of Bigfoot and and UFOs, and there's a speculation that they could be interdimensional. Now, during the time of the investigation, are there any uh, energy deviant uh, deviances in in readings that are being taken?
5: Um. <sighs> I cannot think of any right currently. Now, I can tell you a lot of the better cases were back in the 70s. And so hmm. it was kind of a limit of what we had. But, you know, you asked about a physical trace case. And yes. Let me tell you about probably one of the most spectacular cases okay. that was ever documented on these kind of reports, which was the case that indicated to some of my uh, team members and myself that there was a lot more to Bigfoot than we had any idea of. And this occurred back... During this massive wave in '73, this is up in Fayette County, October twenty fifth 1973, and uh, there are a lot of reports coming in that day from around the state. But that evening, I got a call from a state trooper from the Uniontown State Police Barracks. He uh, wanted me to get a team up to the area as soon as possible. He just had come back from investigating this incident that he bleeds or could it be something still up in the pasture? And uh, what I found out was, and we did send a team up, got there late that night, early morning, uh, we took our radiation equipment, and by the time we got there, if there was any radiation, everything was background, normal radiation readings at that time. But about 9 o'clock that night, about 15 people in that rural community, they observed this object hovering about, about 100 feet off the ground. It's slowly moving downwards, about as big as a barn. It's bright red, like a big red sphere. And... Uh, three fellows, the, the farmer's son who just came out to visit his dad at his, at his property where this happened, mm-hmm. he uh, went up to a neighbors to get a better view of this thing dropping down, and he and two young boys decided they were going to go up in his dad's pasture to see what this thing was, and uh, before they went up in that area, they stopped over at the farm, and he grabbed a .30-06 with a handful of, of ammunition, and as they're moving down the farm lane in the distance, uh, the dogs are barking, going crazy. They hear this baby-crying, whining sound and this high-pitched uh, noise. And as they get closer to the pasture, the sounds are getting louder, and they walked up to the top of the pasture, and to their amazement, about 250 feet away, this object is on the ground or right above it. And now it looks to be about 100 feet in diameter, but it's a big, white, bright dome that's illuminating the air. It's like a, a hemisphere. Hmm. And they're staring there in amazement, the looking at this huge object, trying to figure out what this thing is. But then, all of a sudden, their, their, their eye is uh, drawn to a barbed wire fence about 75 feet away from them. Along that barbed wire fence are these two tall, Bigfoot-type creatures walking one behind the other. The fence post is six feet tall. The one in front is about eight feet tall. The one behind is about seven feet tall. Uh, They're walking upright, they're bipedal, they have long, dark, matted hair hanging off the body, they have no neck, their arms are so long, they're almost down to the ground, they have luminous, glowing green eyes and are making this baby-crying, whining noise. They're slowly walking closer to these fellas, and um, the one boy became very frightened, he ran out of the field, the other two are standing there, and the one kid starts yelling at the guy to take a shot, shoot them. And the guy fires his first shot, which turns out to be a tracer. He had two tracers; he didn't realize it. So those tracers just give you a luminous trail. Mm-hmm. He fires that first tracer, but when he seconds that, fires that second tracer, the largest of the two creatures reaches out as though to grab that tracer and makes this loud whining, baby crying sound, and the object in the field disappears. It doesn't take off; it just vanishes. almost all the the sound stops, almost all the luminosity is gone. At that point, the creatures turn around, start walking along that fence back towards the woods where they came from. The guy's firing live ammo from his .30-06 into them. The guy always said to me, uh, many, many times in the interview, he said, I'll never forget how that large creature with those glowing green eyes just kept staring at me as I'm pumping live ammo into it from my .30-06 with no effect on it whatsoever. And uh, the two fellows ran back to the truck. They went home to the farmhouse, told the family what happened, took them to a neighbor and called the state police. So when the trooper arrives 45 minutes later, they go up into the field in their troop car, and the trooper told me the area where the object was on the ground, or right in that area, was self-luminescent and glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He, said, he told me, he said, if I had a newspaper, I could have sat down within that glowing area and reads a newspaper from the light coming off it. He said the farm animals wouldn't go anywhere near there. And um, at that point, um, they they soon went back to the barracks. When they went back to the state police barracks, both the trooper and the witness were interviewed separately. Then they called me to send up a team. And it got honor and honor uh, through the evening of some things that happened out in the field. It is that was the case that convinced us that there was a lot more of this than we understood. And then we had a case, it was probably one of the strangest ever documented, that began to be, give us a clue as to why there's no bodies of Bigfoot. And that occurred in February of 74, way up in the mountains of, near Ohio Pile. And uh, I feel like I'm glad to tell you that story. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so February 6, 1974. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners are going to remember if it in the United States because we had a very large uh, national truck truck strike going on. There was gas rationing, oh, you yeah. might recall that. There was a lot of violence on the roads across yeah. the country. Back here in Pennsylvania, the state police and the National Guard were patrolling together because of that event, and they both responded to that incident. Now, I got up there early the next morning. Uh, my team and I, we couldn't get any gas down the area here, so we couldn't get up there the next morning. But what happened was this woman... Uh, It deep in the mountains in a little cabin home. Mm -hmm. Was sitting there that evening watching uh, something on television. She always did. I mean, it was normal. She began to hear this little commotion on her little front porch. She had some cans of pop out there. Someone was knocking the pop cans around. And uh, previously there would have been a pack of wild dogs that had passed through the area. And she figured, well, these dogs are probably back. So she thought, you know what, I'll grab my shotgun. I'll just shoot over their head and scare the dogs away. So she loads one chamber of her shotgun. And uh, she makes her way over to the wall switch to turn on the porch light. She does that. She walks to the front door and steps out. And there's no dogs there, but right in front of her, a few feet away, is this very large, hairy, Bigfoot-type creature with its arms straight up over its head. And her response is she fires right into it with her shotgun. She said there was a brilliant flash of light like a flash you would have on a camera, and the creature just suddenly vanished and disappeared right in front of her. Now, her in-laws lived about 100 feet away. They heard the gunshot, and they called and asked her what she was shooting at. She tried to tell them. And her son-in-law grabs his uh, sidearm, a pistol, begins to walk up the dark road. He saw a figure running up the road, And um, he said sometime later, as they got closer, he's surrounded by four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire. He starts shooting at them and ran into the house. And then they soon notice this large object uh, with numerous lights on it hovering over the woods at the same time.
4: Let me ask you, Stan, why does everybody shoot these animals or these these things when when, uh, they're not carrying any weapons? So why would you open fire on something that's not posing a threat to you or... Or carrying a weapon or pointing a weapon at you. To me, that, that's just plain stupid.
5: Well, you know, in all the years my teams I went out woods. we never carried firearms ourselves with us. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that believes in shooting at something that you don't understand. Yeah, right. But many people back in those days, and I asked them, why did you shoot them? They just said, <laughs> we were frightened. Here's something that's not supposed to exist. It's very close to us. And their first response was to shoot. And interestingly, except uh, in some cases, like you just heard, some very strange cases where they disappeared, Mm -hmm. people shot at them, and sometimes the creatures would fall down and get up and generally walk off. Uh, They did not appear to be aggressive towards people. Many people said to me, they said, these things, with the agility they have, the faster they move, they could easily have hurt somebody and caught somebody. But that does not appear to be the case in most of the cases I've looked into.
4: I just think it's a shame you know firing on something whether it's a human you know i'm i'm not into i'm not a game hunter you know i figure if you want to go if you want to hunt deer give the gear, deer a, a weapon as well and make them make it more even but to just to fire on something that that shows how 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 uncivilized we are and then we wonder why ets will not make their presence known because we'd shoot at them
5: well well one thing i w- i want to stress is that You know, I am not suggesting that Bigfoot is an alien from a a spacecraft from another world. We don't know what these things are. I mean, we don't know for sure what these UFOs really are. And, again, we might be dealing with more than one origin for whatever these phenomena are. But the fact is, and this is something that I've been aware of since I started writing about this back in the 70s, I've been in touch with researchers throughout the country, throughout the world, and even going back to those days, there were numerous cases all over that researchers knew about With UFOs and Bigfoot, we're seeing one other one other aspect that we uncovered early when some of our teams would get out to some of these locations. And you got to remember, back in those days in the '70s, you didn't have any internet, you didn't have any cell phones. It was a whole different time period. That's right. But either the police or my teams or both would get to these scenes very quickly. So we're documenting the stuff as it was occurring. And many times we would have trails of footprints under different ground conditions. And in some cases, those tracks would suddenly stop and disappear when there should have been more tracks. And that's something that continues to be reported even in recent years in fresh snow, where people are seeing series of footprints and they suddenly disappear when there's no other tracks around. And uh, once again, You know, I I think we're dealing with something that's far right beyond our our understanding right now. But uh, I think we all need to keep an open mind, because one thing I found out was, again, there's a lot of researchers out there that are aware of these reports. But as you're probably aware, many people in the Bigfoot community don't want to associate Bigfoot with UFOs and vice versa, even though I can tell you in more recent years— I have a lot of people from the Bigfoot community around the country contacting me, and they're beginning to ask the same question. You know, if Bigfoot is a normal flesh and blood animal, why don't we have a body by now? Something just doesn't fit here.
4: Maybe Bigfoot doesn't exist.
5: Well, it may not exist in the way that a lot of us think it should exist Mm -hmm. as an unknown primate, which is what I always thought. I mean, until I got involved in these cases, believe me, we were not out looking for these cases to occur like this. We were not looking for these reports. But when, over so many years, you interview so many people from far-reaching locations who are very credible, many of them very credible people, who are very reluctant to even tell me what they experienced... I mean, I'm dealing with some of these cases right now, and it's just amazing what goes on, and, uh, you know, it's, we just don't have the answers.
4: Listen, you and I have to take our final break. When we come back, Stan, I'd like to talk to you about the Kecksburg case and uh, see if there's anything new in that. Exo nation. Stan Gordon is our guest, www.stangordon.info. And Stan and I will return on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
1: feeling mighty
4: fine. Explanation. Stan Gordon is our guest. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about Stan, www.stangordon.info. Stan, uh, can you just uh, give us, give our listeners a brief synopsis about what the Kecksburg case is all about?
5: Uh, yeah, I can do very brief. We could talk for days about the case. And this year actually marks 52 years of research. Uh, I remember the night this was breaking on the news like it happened yesterday. It was a Thursday night, December 9th of 1965. I was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I already had an interest in UFOs. And I'm listening to one of the the big radio stations in Pittsburgh, uh, KDKA, and they had a talk radio show. And, uh, coincidentally, the the guest they had on, which I was listening, was Frank Edwards, whose name I'm sure you'll recognize. And I wanted to hear what Frank Edwards had to say about some of his books.
4: Sure.
5: Interestingly, almost the entire program is focusing on this breaking news story of this brilliant fireball that was seen from Ontario, Canada, over Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And there was a lot we didn't know at the time as it was breaking on the news. And I remember that whole evening, I'm running back and forth uh, in the living room to the black and white console TV and back to the radio trying to get the, the latest reports. And whatever that fire object was apparently came in over the greater Pittsburgh area about four forty seven PM just as it's getting dark and multitudes of people reporting this object uh from across the country, but a lot right in Pittsburgh as it's moving over, so the police and radio and T V stations, newspapers were being jammed with calls coming in. And as the evening went on, it was reported that whatever that object was, it fell into a wooded ravine here in western PA near the Mount Pleasant Township of Kecksburg. And um, it got much more fascinating that evening when reports were coming in that the military was arriving in that farming community to cordon off the area and search for an unidentified flying object. And it was an amazing night. I stayed up as late as I could to try to hear the latest reports coming in and uh, I remember the next day, I hurried to the local newsstand, uh, hoping that it would be the newspaper. And lo and behold, it's the headlines, uh, front page, and all the local papers. And our local paper, the Green Tribune Review, had two editions. The morning edition had Army Ropes Off Area, Unidentified Flying Object Falls Near Kecksburg. And uh, it went on to say that apparently something did fall into the woods, that no one was being allowed anywhere near the object that the area was cordoned off on the order on the orders of the US Army and the state Police. they're awaiting the arrival of civilian scientists and army engineers to examine whatever fell and um, then to my surprise, the later edition of the paper had a number of different stories but the one that uh, really caught my eye was the one that said searchers failed to find object and went on to say that yes there was a search but nothing was found and officially, People had been mistaken, they had seen a bright meteor in the sky, but nothing had fallen to the ground. Officially, that's how the case remains today. Well, after many, many, many years of research, I've interviewed hundreds of people Mm -hmm. who were involved in the case. This included um, many reporters from all over Pittsburgh who were on the scene that night and who witnessed the military presence and some who interacted with them. Multitudes of other eyewitnesses on the scene. I interviewed military sources. I interviewed uh, state police and their families. And there, there is no doubt whatsoever that the military came in and recovered the object, whatever it was. So what I found out was that we didn't know at the time that some local residents, soon after the object fell, and this object, whatever it was, it's moving relatively slow across the sky. It's made, making changes in direction along its trajectory. And the people in that area saw it come down that afternoon and said it did not come down at a high rate of speed. It came down almost like it made a controlled landing. And so people who got down into the woods come across this large metallic acorn-shaped object semi-buried in the ground. It's kind of an off-gold bronze color, one solid piece of metal. They saw no weld marks, no rivets, no seams, no fuselage, no windows. On the raised-up back of the acorn, one local witness, uh, he called it the bumper area. He said there were these raised-up markings off the surface that he said looked more like symbols than any type of... Writing And luckily, because of his background, he was uh, somewhat familiar with uh, Russian or Cyrillic, and he said, that was definitely not what it was. And I know he told me he spent years in libraries looking up ancient languages from what he could recall from memory of what the symbols looked like, and he said, closest thing he could recall was ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. So what I found out over the years, in fact, in the summer of 1990, uh, before we did the Unsolved Mysteries TV show in this case, a uh, man contacted me i did many interviews with him i was able to check his background and he told me that he was a member of the air force police the air police he was a member of the security team that guarded the object from kexburg when it came into lockbourne air force base near columbus ohio during the early morning hours of de- december 10th that has has also now been confirmed by other independent witnesses who don't even know each other What I was told was the military flatbed tractor trailer with a tarped object, a left Kexberg was brought in through an entrance of the base not normally used. They backed it into a hangar. They set up a security perimeter around it, and they were given a shoot to kill order to anybody approach that hangar without the proper clearance. Now, this fellow told me he didn't stay on the team that much longer. He heard the truck didn't stay there at that base very long. It continued on to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And later, I was given good information exactly what building the object was taken to. Now, if it's still there, we have no way of knowing. We've heard different stories. We have no way to confirm it. But whatever this object was, for the military to respond the way they did so quickly, there had to have been something very important to our government for them to send armed soldiers and— There were reports from individuals, some who have gone public, who told me that they tried to get down into the woods, the city object, they were stopped by armed soldiers who aimed their weapons at them. Mm -hmm. So where did that jurisdiction come from? for these soldiers to go on other people's private property and keep other civilians off of that property because they didn't want to get down into the woods that day. It, it's a long, amazing story. We could talk for days about what we've uncovered about Kecksburg, and there's a lot of very interesting new details we've uncovered in recent years.
4: Well, so what are the newest details? Was it a Russian satellite?
5: Uh, there have been many, many theories produced on Kecksburg. I mean, the, the Soviet Cosmos 96 was always one of the, the key possibilities years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much been eliminated now. Cosmos 96 was a Soviet Venus probe that actually we entered the Earth's atmosphere at 318 a.m. over Canada. And, uh, but now a lot of new information has come out in, in more recent years, and that's pretty much been eliminated. Um, Cosmos 96, the probe itself, was only about three feet in diameter, as I recall. And, um, again, this object, whatever it was, it made turns in direction, made a slow descent without parachutes, and came down very much intact. Uh, the evidence at the scene that they found years later uh, was basically that there was a series of trees knocked down in that area, and uh, right actually in the area where independent witnesses took me down into the woods to the same exact location. And um, But a couple things we turned up, and there's, there's so much. Uh, we I realized now, after interviewing numerous witnesses, that there were, in fact, Two military flatbed tractor trailers at the scene. One went on earlier in the evening. The other one with a tarped object on it uh, left somewhere around one o'clock in the morning. Then ended up in Ohio. And um, there's some indication now, and I don't even know if we have time to get into it, but there's some indication that there's a possibility that there was someone or something inside of that object. What we've gotten now from little interesting bits and pieces from different witnesses.
4: You know, how many years ago was the fifty? 50 years ago? Uh, 52 this year,
5: 1965. Well,
4: so what is the draw to this mystery? Is it the fact that there could be a government conspiracy, there could be a UFO, there could be an extraterrestrial involved?
5: Well, it's probably all those things. I mean, there's a huge local and national interest in the case, and even other countries have shown interest in the case. Uh, It's very well documented because there's so many witnesses, including reporters that made national news at the time. So many witnesses saw an object. Uh, People saw it in the air. People saw it on the ground. People saw it being all the way on the military truck. There's military uh, information where, where it was taken to. The big question has been for years and years, what was this object? And why was the military so quick to respond, to recover, whatever this thing was? And after 52 years, Mm -hmm. if it was only some type of recovery of of space debris or a a meteorite, which is very unlikely from what we know, or something along that line, why after so many years won't they just come clean and tell the public the truth about what they recovered?
4: Well, why should the government have to tell the public everything?
5: If 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 it's a
4: matter of national security, I don't think the public has the right to know.
5: And I agree. There are some things yep. that National Security the public does not have the right to know, but there's a lot of people who are involved in this case, and I know many, many of these people passed away over the years, and they're always hoping for answers that somebody would at least confirm their story that they saw and they experienced what they did. And, uh, again, we may never know all the facts or the truth about what was recovered that right. day, and there could be reasons for that.
4: Exactly. Exactly. How about uh, radar trackings? Were there any radar trackings of the object?
5: Officially, it was not tracked on radar. Over the years, various people have told me and give me some pretty good information that it was indeed tracked over a large area. That is why they got the military moving so quickly and into the general area mm-hmm. where they thought the thing might come down. So I, I believe it was being tracked.
4: How about freedom of information uh, access to any of the reports? As, as oh, as yes.
5: We did a tremendous number of searches for years and years, and then back, of course, in 2002 when the Sci-Fi Channel and the Coalition of Freedom of Information got involved directly in this case and deeply, there was a lot of Freedom of Information uh, requests done. But of of all the reports and all the different cases I filed for in the 80s and since Mm -hmm. then, the only document that ever showed up, was the Air Force Project Blue Book file, and it was not under Kecksburg. It was under Acme, Pennsylvania, and I believe the reason was because I interviewed a family who I know the Air Force man interviewed as well. He was at the home, interviewed these people. Um, They were involved in the case. But they had an ACME mailing address, which is within walking distance of Kecksburg, and I felt that that's probably the reason why they looked okay. under ACME, not Kecksburg, PA. But uh, the report went on to say that, yes, there was a search, nothing was found, um, but it had a lot of really interesting information in there, uh, including the fact that a three-man team had been dispatched from the Oakdale radar site in Pittsburgh. And later I tracked down some of the, we myself and others tracked down some of these Air Force people, mm-hmm. said they a three-man team was dispatched to ACME PA to investigate and pick up an object at the start of the fire. And um, it, it's a very interesting, fascinating case, regardless of what the object was.
4: Hey, Stan, we've got to say so long for tonight. Uh, let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you and how they can file a report if they're in Pennsylvania.
5: Yeah, they... Uh, they can contact me uh, through my website, stangordon.info. Email is paufo at comcast.net. And uh, there's always updates and information, events I'll be speaking at, and books are available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com.
4: Hey, Stan, take care of yourself, and keep the good work up, my man.
5: Thank you. Appreciate you having me on.
4: Take care, buddy. ExoNation, once again, if you'd like to get more information about Stan Gordon, if you'd like to uh, file a report, all you need to do is go to Stan's website, www.stangordon.info. Well, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue delving into the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here in the Exo, from our broadcast centre in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You can always send me an email, xzone at X-Zone Radio Don't go away.
3: privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and roles for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, Opt out. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than 1 in 3 children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days guaranteed with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. Text KID to 323232.